Statolatry, the worship of the state and the idolizing of the state and all things, and it dominates all your thinking. Now you might say, well, I'm not an idolater, I'm a Christian. Well, that's a good place to start, but think seriously about this. We will challenge you today to think as Christians and to ask yourselves, whom do you worship and in whom do you trust? Psalm 146 says, do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. Welcome and thank you for joining us today on Sinners and Saints. We have with us Reverend John Sautel from All Saints United Reformed Church Plant in the Walnut area and Reverend Adam Kalustian from the Ontario United Reformed Church and I am Reverend Moses Jambazian from the Pasadena United Reformed Church and we welcome you all. Today we would like to discuss how Christians are to think and act in the United States in particular but in general also how Christians must view themselves in the world. And so we want to challenge ourselves to think as believers who have a king and a heavenly citizenship and understand that we are, in fact, now pilgrims in this world. Well, I can tell you right off the bat how Christians should think and how they should approach their citizenship, at least here in the United States. Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So that means, then, that you should vote Republican, George. <laughs> I, I told pro, you, George Bush George is God's Bush. man. He's God's man. He's, uh, he's clearly an evangelical Christian man. He has been sent by God to lead this country, not only in justice in the land, but in the righteousness of the advancement of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for anybody not to see that, Clearly from the scripture, just must not willful, be reading the Bible. It's willful blindness. <laughs> I don't know what Bible they're reading. But if you – and then we'll make it simple for you. You say, well, that's just for presidents. And they say, what do you do with the rest of the elected officials? Well, here's how you do it. You figure out if they ever mention the name Jesus or if they say they pray or if they say bless you in the name of God or if they show up at a church, then you know that they're somebody that's suitable to vote for. Or just look on the Christian Voter's Guide that gets – plastered all over the parking lot okay, of every well, yeah. church if you have one in of those every handy, city in every United name. States two weeks before every election. Yeah, so this is something that we need to flesh out a little bit. What is it that we are being commanded to do in Scripture when we are told to honor the magistrate? And is it possible to take that too far to the point that we actually violate the command that we are not to have idols and that we are actually making leaders of the nations our idols? Well, I like how you begin with calling it statolatry. It's virtually impossible for people who have been educated in the public school system in America, who listen to the news media or have virtually no other sources of information about what government is supposed to be. It's virtually impossible now for people, and sadly so, to to look at the government and do anything but actually worship them as almost God. Because you're taught to conceive of the government as the solution to every question that's out there. Do we have a problem with AIDS? Well, let's tax people and get more money so the government can dole that out to institutions who will then do research. 
whatever problem you want to come up with, the government will have the solution as long as you give them enough money, and then they get to play God and figure out where the resources go and how to find the cure for it. Well, isn't that really what we're being told to do in Romans 13? Aren't we being given an absolute command that the government can absolutely do whatever it wants, and we as Christians are to obey unquestioningly? Well, I... First of all, Romans 13 should not be abstracted from the broader context of Scripture. Romans 13 is not saying that the civil government is the governing authority and nothing else is. There, there, there are various forms of government. You ha- if you want to understand the proper role of government, you can't just cite Romans 13. You have to begin back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. When God makes man in his own image. And then Genesis chapter 2, you have the institution of the family. You can't possibly begin to understand the role of government apart from understanding the institutions which God has already, has already made. What about for us as Americans then? How are we to view our governments currently? I know certainly you were joking about uh, almost the worship of Bush that we, take ha- that we have. Is that really a proper thing? Because isn't that really a proper respect for the one that God has placed in authority? If there's one thing we want to get you to realize today is that politics and government is more than either George Bush and the Republicans or Al Gore and the Democrats. When you think about government according to the scripture, you have to think about it in broader terms. It seems like every Christian that talks about politics either takes the side of George Bush or sort of sheepishly wants to take the other side and is marginalized by the rest of the Christian community? Look, the whole political landscape, it seems to me, at least among conservative Christians today, has been hijacked by a very effective media campaign uh, set forth in the early 80s by the moral majority, the Pat Robertsons, the Paul Weyricks of the world, where they reduced the Christian principle of voting down to a simple principle— do they conform to the pro-life agenda? And if they did, they were good. That meant Reagan, that meant Bush, that meant uh, Bob Dole, that meant George W. Whoever, you know, paid lip service to saying that they were going to support this. Then you knew who the good guys were, and everybody else was immediately the bad guys. Now, this is what is termed manichaeism, where you basically reduce everything to a black and white, where there's always this battle going on. And so here we have our heroes, and the heroes happen to all have R at the end of their name. They're all part of the Republican Party. But what you've done when you do this is you've actually removed God from the equation, and you've made the battle completely an earthly battle of winning the votes. And if you get the votes, then God's will on earth is done. And this is the danger that we're talking about. We're not saying that you ignore Romans 13 and you don't obey government. What we want people to think about, honestly, though, is am I going to worship God and trust in him or in the results of the election? We have extraordinarily oversimplified our understanding of God's will for our world and our nation politically and governmentally and made it down to either you're on the side of George Bush, the Republicans, the moral majority, or you are an enemy of God's will in our state. Now, you have to watch out for your deep, visceral reaction and support of any particular party or any particular stance in the government because it's very easy to get overwhelmed by nationalism, by arrogance, by... Well, this this simplistic polarizing of parties, Democrats, Republicans, left versus right, anti-abortion, pro-abortion, whatever, has been a very effective tool that has been used by the religious right. 
it's a brilliant campaign strategy. It's a b- brilliant media management strategy. But the problem is it's designed to be used for soundbite politics. And one thing that's happened in America is that all political fighting, debating, wrangling, and everything has boiled down to who can get the quickest, sharpest, most scathing or uh, disrespectful sort of um, – soundbite off and the whole debate is centered around uh, throwing soundbites back and forth at each other and so we put ourselves in this very stupid position now of evaluating people based upon soundbites and so we've completely disengaged our minds from thinking and evaluating the broader issues and it's led to this standoff let me give an example so if people for whatever reason are evaluating the president george bush on his faith his core faith values Early on, somewhere along the line, he was, and brilliantly so, he advertised that he was a born-again Christian, that he was a committed evangelical person and sympathetic to the cause of the Bible. Well, he even said, let me just stop, he even said that Jesus was the most influential political thinker upon his mind. Right, he's no idiot. He knows that Christians are listening to him when he says that. Now, people have taken that and run with it, and you hear Christians talk as if George Bush was the most sanctified and holy man that ever walked the face of the earth. Now, let me, let me ask you, when he, after the September 11th attacks, was in the national worship service and was bowing his head in prayer, not just to the God of the Methodists, but the God of the Muslims, and was united in prayer with priests of other pagan deities... Have we allowed that to creep into our thinking or to weigh that maybe on balance with the other things that he has said to consider whether or not the claims that he makes about his Christianity are true? Now, again, I'm not caring really myself one way or the other whether or not George Bush is personally a Christian for the sake of governmental policies. But the point is we have just turned off our minds and let our emotions overtake us in the name of supposedly fighting God's cause in our government. And we can't allow ourselves to be so unthinking. Well, consider this and ask yourself this. Are you more likely to question someone's Christian sincerity and their Christian walk if they switch denominations, if they leave your church and go to a church that is very different? Or are you more likely to question their Christian orthodoxy if they switch from Republican to Democrat or even, God forbid worse, to a third party? Well, I can answer that. Do they pray to Jesus in that other church? If they believe in and Jesus, they must be Christians. They, yeah, they all, you know, they believe everything's out of the Bible there and it has the name Christian on the church. That so must there's be okay. no room for question there. No. But if you give up voting conservative Republican, yes. then you are obviously not caring for the good of mankind, the good of your nation, your children's future. Yes, and I can, ex- I can explain the logic of it for you. A vote for a third party is a vote against Bush or against Republicanism. And a vote against Republicanism is a vote against pro life. See, Therefore, you violated words, a vote, the sixth a vote against a, a vote against Jesus Christ is what <laughs> it really right. is. So clearly you're not a Christian. <laughs> yeah, so here's that statolatry thing that we were talking about, this idea that the, your relation to the state will determine whether or not you're a true believer as opposed to having your Christianity d- defined by Scripture and the things, the truths that God has revealed there and then politics being a separate category. 
that you handle in a different manner. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, oh, those are guys that must be Democrats or whatever, some cultish third-party thing. That is not the point of what we're talking about. The point is we have sworn a blind allegiance to the Republican Party, to George Bush, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is actually very offensive to Christ. He does not share his glory with them. He did not anoint George Bush. He did not send George Bush into the world and the Holy Spirit <laughs> descended on him like a dove and saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We have to critically evaluate all of our governmental leaders. We have to think about the governmental systems. We have to think about political philosophy. And we can't just get caught up in this craze in the name of Christ. Well, we also have to be concerned here to bring disrepute to Christ by rubber stamping a particular person, candidate, or party as well, because you can't even get engage in an intelli- a, a useful discussion with people who take who are Democrats or liberals or whatever, as soon as you tell them you're a Christian, you support Bush, because then they say about the gospel, let's say, or Christianity, because they say, oh, yeah, we already know ahead of time who you are. Because if you're insisting on the rubber stamp of Bush or the Republican Party, we can already tell that you're part of these tyrannical, uh, unloving, uncompassionate group of people. And so you're already cutting off all possibility to have any influence on them in spiritual matters because of your politics. We're asking everyone to consider the reality that we are all prone to idolatry, that our hearts are wicked, and therefore we have to guard ourselves against these things. We're not saying any one individual is particularly committing this act over another now, but... Think about in the past, the church always looked at the purity of the gospel, whether orthodoxy was being preserved, whether the gospel was being preached, and they defined their joy of God's kingdom through that. Do you become bitterly disappointed if the opposing party wins and you're convinced that God's kingdom will not come on earth while the opposing party is in power? You do. Then you've gone into statolatry, the idolatry of the state. I can remember this very clearly, and I have a confession to make here before you all. I can remember when Clinton was elected as president, was it 1992, I was sure that that was it for Christianity. And I was so invested in the Republican Party, you know, based upon the Reagan years and Bush being, you know, uh, Walker uh, Bush one being uh, Reagan's vice president, and just growing up this whole mentality of how republicanism was good and, and right along with apple pie Chevrolet and baseball that you know this is just the way it was and I was just quite sure that the Christian uh, cause was just going to unravel uh, and go into disarray because we had a democratic president and I could not even fathom. Uh, relating to this man in a respectful way. Now, how Christian is that? When God says that you ought to show respect to rulers or whatever, I couldn't even fathom it because he, he was a Democrat, obviously unworthy of respect. Well, but they'll say, John, you're making our argument because isn't it true that Clinton being elected was just the precursor to the height of our godlessness in our society? I mean, the same people, guys, who are swear that George Bush is God's man are the same people that swear that somebody has to bring this culture back to godliness. I mean, things are so bad today, and that's because we've gotten away from Republican principles. Isn't that right? Well, I think, again, here the problem is that we have determined that it will be the state that will bring about the kingdom of God and will bring about morality. And this is the old liberal Christian error. Yes. That we will trust the state rather than the spirit of God working in power through the preached word. And when we start having that same fallacy, we've fallen from the truth and from orthodoxy. Well, let's just say in the modern era, beginning with the 20th century, it's, it's very clear historically, the facts will bear this out, that it was the progressives, the people who supported the Wilsonian vision of peace, prosperity, spread, th- spread through democracy throughout the world, 
they were not fundamentalist Christians. They were liberal, progressive uh, Christians who had this ideology, and somehow this idea of co-opting the government to bring in the kingdom of God really traces its root to progressivism, at least in our American uh, contemporary American experience. Yeah, it's based on the arrogance of man, because usually when you're in this idea of let's legislate these things to prevent them, such as abortion or whatever else, you're always saying that, I know I would never have an abortion. I know that I would never do these other sinful, horrible acts. But I know that others are too weak and they need the power of the state to have morality. And so you have an arrogance that goes with this. And I think this is the danger that we all have to watch out for. We're called by the law of God to look at ourselves and to understand we're the sinners and we need to be guarded and we need to pray for sanctification for ourselves first. Okay, okay Moses, isn't the government supposed to have a role, though, in the suppression of evil doing? I mean, isn't that the reason why God has instituted the government anyway? Well, certainly. And that's the thing that we always have to remember is this balance in its role. It is to punish evildoers. It is not to, to be a threat to those who do good. But beyond that, there is a question as to what is the proper role and limit. And the danger of statolatry on either side, left or right, is when you trust the government to do everything. And you get rid of the family's function. You get rid of the function of the church. And unfortunately, that is what's happening today where people aren't saying, you know what, regardless of what the government says is right or wrong, what we know is right and wrong is in Scripture, and therefore we will preach the word rightly. We will call upon our own people first and foremost to do that which brings honor and glory to God, and then through that seek to influence the world, and then of course propagate the gospel to the ends of the earth. The danger is when you want to shortcut the whole thing, forget in your own sanctification, and just have the government sanctify everybody through law and through the threat of the gun. And that's the danger that we're dealing with. And that's where we have to ask ourselves, are we really fulfilling the Christian vision from Scripture, or have we bought hook, line, and sinker the idolatry of the state that has been present in mankind, and particularly in our, in our lives, has come to us from the liberal progressive side of the church, which denied the divinity and power of God and gave it all to the state? Well, we would also want to ask the question whether even from the New Testament— um, Revelation, how much really uh, should we emphasize uh, this whole business of, of being aggressively involved in promoting politics and being involved in the state and the civil affairs and so forth? The New Testament has very little to say. I would argue primarily not only because the state was pagan, but because when we think of the kingdom of God, it's centered on the church, not on what the state can produce out of its own uh, resources or through its might or power or taxation or whatever, um, it seems to me that this has now become the cause. You can tell how somebody's a, a sold-out Christian because they're out knocking on doors in their precincts. They're out handing out uh, uh, literature for their favorite anti-abortion candidate. This has become now the way you show your piety and your commitment to Christ by your involvement in political causes. Well, and that makes perfect sense, right? Because politicians always fulfill their promises, right? That they make to the Christian, right? I mean, isn't the, the classic uh, case in point that Reagan made all of these promises to anti-abortion right-wing conservatives, and then when he was actually in office, he fall, 
fell far short of what he had promised to Careful do. Careful now. You're attacking, like, the greatest president we've ever had in the history of the world. Yeah. The danger, though, still goes back to Psalm 146. Don't put your trust in princes. Yes, you should be against those things which God forbids, such as abortion. That should not be tolerated. But to assume that somebody who's anti-abortion is therefore for the church and for the kingdom of God and will promote the interests of God, that's where you make the mistake. Distinguish between the individual and the item. Well, too, just think about it from your own understanding of how life actually works. Who is going to have more influence on the number of abortions? As much as I detest it, think it's unbiblical, it is murder, it is wrong— Who's going to have more influence on the number of abortions? You voting for a political candidate or you just influencing the people around you about the issue, informing them what it's about, uh, teaching them that it's murder, it's defacing the very image of God in which uh, human beings are created. In. You're going to have far more impact if you just live a godly life, get out into culture, get out into society, and, and just be a Christian and influence people's decision-making in that way than voting for some guy who's going to go to office, pay lip service to the fact that he's anti-abortion, and then do absolutely nothing about it when he gets there. See, there are a number of wonderful Christians who are working against abortion by going to the places where abortions are performed or where they know women have these problems, where they are embarrassed, they're scared. And they say, instead of screaming at that person or saying, we're just going to outlaw it, they offered to that woman aid. We will help you adopt this child. We will help support in the raising of this child in some way. We need to have you get right also with God now. And so it's a compassionate approach that deals with the reality of sin and seeks to help the individual. You've actually helped one person when you do that. But to make it political and to divorce yourself from it, where you can scream and yell from your own home but never actually get engaged with these people, that's the problem, is that you are trusting the same way that you pray to God to do things that are beyond your control, you're now turning it over to the state to do it. And we're saying, no, let the state do its limited function, give God the glory, and acknowledge his power to do all the rest. Yeah, it's praying to God and depending on the state with all your might. And it's a foolish and unwise and even unbiblical way of, of approaching the state and to thinking about the role of the state in the life of uh, society and so forth. Here's one that we've read about recently, which is that the Air Force Academy is being sued because it has become a place where evangelical Christianity is being promoted, which in itself would not be a bad thing, except that here's the philosophy behind it. It's being promoted there in order that you will have Christian officers so that the American military will be the army of God. That's the logic behind it, where total confusion of cult and culture. Well, sure. As long as we have the messianic mission that's been forecasted for us by George Bush, that we are going to be uh, the light bearer to the nations by bringing democracy, what you have to have to augment that vision is a redeemed military. So now you have these uh, pressure groups in the military uh, from the outside, evangelicals, being with Ted Haggard at the beginning of the National Association of Evangelicals and on down the line, uh, trying to per- promote this agenda of Bush, of being the messianic military to the world. So in order to accomplish that, let's get everybody converted. It's a very aggressive, hostile way of promoting their brand of evangelical Christianity. And the fact of the matter is the military is just not for that. And on top of that, now you've got evangelical groups and conservative groups that are going to Washington and petitioning that we invade Iran. 
as though this is the work of the Church of Jesus Christ to argue for more war, more bloodshed, when we're called to be peacemakers. No, because, it's God's army. Don't yes. you understand? We're all in God's army, and th- you know, this one is armed to the teeth with the best, most latest, sophisticated military weaponry to accomplish the big, you know, I mean, uh, duh, goal that God it, has. Duh, Moses. Yeah, I mean, Israel, really, it's not that hard to figure Israel out. Israel is the chosen people of God. <laughs> therefore, whatever Israel does is, in the eyes of God, a good thing, and therefore, if we're going to please God, our military should support Israel at all costs in any way so that the prophecies of the book of Revelation will come true in our time. I mean, can't you see the simple logic? Put no trust in princes, nor for help on man depend. This is it is horrible to see that we've gotten to this point that we are unable to distinguish between the United States, one of the kingdoms of this world. And we have now confused it with the kingdom of God, which is the church of Jesus Christ, and which is, by the way, all over the world, including among those that we are advocating killing. This is the danger of statolatry. It becomes America, my country, right or wrong. And that is not an option for a believer. You mean there are Arab Christians? I understand oh, there might started. be one. <laughs> there might be one. But again, this is that danger that we're saying is that we've got to distinguish between these things and worship God and give the honor to God that belongs to him alone. Well, we're very grateful to you for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. We thank you so much for joining in this discussion. And we would ask you to please always think and consider what it means. And in order to learn more, of course, we encourage you to please visit the United Reformed Churches. We have the All Saints in Walnut. We have Ontario and Pasadena, which are conveniently located for you. If you're here, of course, anywhere else in the world, you don't have a URC. And you're out please. of luck. But uh, but let us know. We want now, to do church now plants. you're out of luck. <laughs> we will do church plants as soon as we have enough people anywhere that are interested. So please contact us and let us know. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge.